Hey everyone, it's Peter Rosenberg from Cheap Heat. Join me and the fearless, physically large stat guy, Greg, and of course, Super Agent 35 under 35 Dipperstein as we tackle the biggest stories in pro wrestling each and every week. To hear us, follow the Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. How are you? Very well indeed. In the London suburbs, poised and ready for the onset of the book festival season. Oh, it's hashtag festival season. It is absolutely. I'm on tour. Lad on tour. Oh God. Do you want to give everyone the dates? Uh, Coming to. A festival near you. I'll be I'll be in Totnes, Devon on the twenty eighth. That's the day of the Champions League final. I'm sorry about that. I'll be at the Charleston Festival in Lewis on the twenty ninth. That's the next day, <laughs> and then I'll be in at the Hay on Wye Festival on the third of June at ten a.m. So in in terms of times, three p.m. in Totnes on the twenty eighth. Then it's 5.30pm at Charleston in Lewis on the 29th, and then 10am at Hay on Y on the 3rd of June. Nice. Those, those are my dates, yeah. What are you actually doing there? Just reading uh, stuff from the book? Talking about my work, not myself, talking about my work. So talking about, in the end, it's all about love at the Sea Change Festival on the 28th, then talking about one of them on the 29th, then talking about one of them again on the 3rd. Nice. Oh, and tonight, 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 it is the... Sunny Times Sports Book Awards and have been nominated with Ian for striking out. Oh, congratulations, uh, man. Thanks. Had to buy a new black tie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. I know, I know. You can't hire anything. They're like, oh, excuse me, sir. When are you going to come and get your stuff fitted? And I'm like, dude, I live abroad. Like, I don't have time to like do an appointment. I'm like, Let me just like buy a suit. Musa Ogwanga is too busy. I was like, oh, there's a week long waiting time. I'm like, come on, man. I just got off the plane. Like, let me just buy a suit. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> because I just thought to myself, like, they are expensive, but if you wear them three times, it's basically the cost of a hire. Plus, you haven't got to wear them and get nervous about spilling something in the course of the evening or someone else spilling, like, wine over you or something. So, yeah. Good suit chat. Yeah, there we go. A bit of suit chat for the, for the gang. Hey, it's listen, you're not the only one doing a live show. Ah, that's true. I'm not. 
<laughs> For those who follow us on socials or signed up to our newsletter, you will have seen that we announced on Tuesday tickets for the first ever Stadio Live in London at the social on Monday, June the 27th. And the tickets went in a few hours, which was kind of wild, to be honest. Yeah, it was unbelievable. We didn't expect them to go that quickly. So first of all, thank you to everyone who bought a ticket. Second of all, thanks to the social who then said, oh, we've actually had a cancellation on the Saturday, the 25th. Do you want to do a second date? So we got to do an extra date added to unbelievable, incredible public demand, which is something I've always wanted to say. <laughs> so they are going on sale 10am UK time Friday this will be up Thursday evening Friday morning 10am UK time they'll go on sale the ticket link is the pinned tweet on our Twitter so twitter.com forward slash stadio also just a big shout yeah. to those great people at Dr. Me who designed our post template yes. for us amazing design can I, can I say it can I say it it's the second life date that nobody asked for. You're going to get it. Oh, God. Oh, God. You poor people. I can't believe you're actually paid to come and sit in a room with us, too. What are you doing? They didn't ask for it. They're going to get it. But on that note, I know we're kind of rambling a little bit about the live stuff, but yep. yeah, massive thanks to everyone who's bought tickets. And this yeah. is something that we are going to try and do in a few more places over the next year or so now that things have opened up and everyone is hopefully fully vaccinated and boosted boosted and so better come up with some ideas to talk about (laughs) because the really scary thing is can't edit the live stuff so there's things i can say you can't can't i know i know why did i agree to this anyway so yeah we hope to see a load of you in london yeah that'd be great yeah i'm really excited actually i'm really really excited yeah me too um before we move on, we hope everyone is staying safe and well. It's been a, a, a horrible, with addition to everything else going on, it's been yeah. a horrible week, mm. a horrible fortnight really with what's been going on in the US. And uh, I don't want to go too deep on it because obviously we've probably, you've probably come to us to escape all of that, but we just want to send all our love and all our thoughts with anyone who is affected by what's going on at the moment. We've got a lot of friends in the US who have children and I know that they are, thinking thoughts that they shouldn't be thinking when they send their kids off to school and that's heartbreaking and for all the families who lost children it's just I can't even begin to think what that must be like and I'm not the best at articulating stuff like this so I will keep it brief but I know that we're based in Europe and Mm. the government of the country that we're from are by no means (laughs) remotely anything to be proud of but you know the ringer goes out in the states it's based in the states and just one thing that I cannot remotely understand is that if you're a policymaker in a country that has had more mass shootings than days this year and your first reaction to something like this is there's nothing that could be done, then you're the wrong person to hold office. Mm. I just feel for everyone in the US at the moment who doesn't really know what to do. Uh, I know that there's some midterms coming up and you all will have far better places to find that stuff from, but yeah, we just wanted to send a, a little, a little bit, well, a lot of love out to anyone mm. from the States yeah. who's affected by what's going on at the moment. Well said. All right then, man, let's get on to today. Let's get on to the football. Yeah, let's do it. 
shall we start with the Europa Conference League final? I think that's absolutely right. I think we should start there. Because the main reason is because it's another opportunity just to go for one last time this season. (laughs) (laughs) Roma won, fine ordinal. Jose Mourinho is the only ever manager to win the Europa Conference League. And you cannot take that away from him for at least another 363 days, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the fixture list, but I'm, gar- I'm I imagine it won't be any less than that. His fifth European trophy, Roma's first major European trophy. They won the Fairs Cup a long time ago. This is their first UEFA major trophy. Their first trophy in over a decade. Mm. A little bit of Jose Mourinho vintage in here. Now we've talked a lot about Roma this year because mm. we found them quite entertaining for as a as neutrals. I think mm. from afar. Yes, yes. Obviously. Tammy's been amazing. Some other players coming through there have been amazing. And they've seen like, they've been good overall, I think, as a, for neutrals to to check in with this year. That's right. I, That's wrote, I wrote something saying that I, I really like this late era. <clears throat> sorry. I really like this kind of late era, far away Jose Mourinho. For Jose, he's a little bit more under the radar. Yeah. So he gets to just, gets up to some nonsense, has some poor results, wins something. Like I said, we'll dine out on this. For a little bit. Well, but no, also, you're, you're, it's, he's fun because he's not your manager, so you haven't got to live all of it. You can dip in and out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not he's not the manager, or he's not uh, the manager of a direct rival, or or even he, your you club. Know. Yeah, so you haven't yeah, exactly. got to live it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you could see during the game and after the game that this really, really meant something. Not just yes. to the players, but a full Stadio Olimpico who were having a screening and went absolutely wild at full time. I think we've touched on this before about how that stadium is hard to sell out and Roma have sold it out pretty much for all of the knockout stages this year. They've taken, the fans have really bought in, the players have really bought in and Mourinho has bought in. Yes, and he has. remember, this is a tournament that they got hammered by Buda Glimt at one point. Mm, yes. Kind of amazing. It is amazing. I think something happened with this season where Mourinho realised quite early on that this was the trophy that he was going to go for. And that's not a criticism. It's not a criticism. It's more a reflection of the fact that ultimately, you know, it's important to remind people, fans do like to win things and there is community to be found. And one thing that Mourinho has always tried to do and arguably excelled at doing every club he's gone to is building some form of a community within the club. What is the quickest route to community when teams above you in Serie A have tooled up and frankly have greater resources and greater depth, it's a cup competition. Mm. And I'm not sure exactly what point in the season he clicked and was like, we're going for this. But he did go for it. And it, I'd argue it was after, not until they got thrashed by, by Glimt, as you mentioned. I think there was some period after that where he was like, do you know what? The Conference League is the one. And he went all in. And one thing Marino's very good once he goes all in on something, he's getting everyone to pull in that direction. And we see that oh, it's from fans to players. Yeah, yeah. All or nothing, yeah. <laughs> see it did there. But yeah, so really impressive how, you know, to give him credit, how he marshaled that, that effort as strong as he did. And you could argue, actually, it's not, what Mourinho did is not, it's not solely him. I mean, Pochettino did that before. We've seen him focus on a cup competition, the Champions League. We saw Emery arguably do it with um, the Champions League and Villarreal. You know, we've seen similar exercises happen. What's so impressive with Mourinho is when he gets to a final, it's almost as if he has a PDF or a hard copy. And he's like, do you know what? I know that you've all played a certain way to get to this final. 
but this is just how finals go. And I'll probably be like, you know, I can imagine Marino giving the pre-team, the pre-match, like team talk going, how many goals does it take to win a final? And I'll be like, uh, silence. Someone else, some, someone smart will say one, just one goal. And he'll be like, why one? He goes, because if you keep a clean sheet, a goal is all you need. And it's so interesting in this match, like, and Mark Wallace is talking about this because I, I was joking about like, you know, the Mourinho masterclass on Twitter. Um, Your multiple draft tweets. So. Yeah, multi- I was joking about like, yeah, I've got both, t- both, <laughs> both, both tweets saved. Both tweets saved. Get you a man who can tweet both. Either it's Mourinho masterclass or it's Mourinho at coach. And the reason I joked, I tweeted that only half in jest was that because Mourinho gives himself relatively little margin for error in major finals, the margin, what he does is it's actually quite risky because he sets his team up to, to play defensively, not necessarily in, in, in style of play because there's a lot of playmakers on that pitch. You know, he got Mkhitaryan in the midfield too. That's actually quite a kind of um, bold start. But yeah, because Mourinho, early with injury, huh? Yeah, but because Mourinho sets his teams out to play conservatively, that is really the absence of a plan B. So if, if a team gets an equaliser, which is untested because it hasn't happened in a major final of Mourinho. If a team gets an equaliser, there's a very good chance they can go on to get a win. So Mourinho's entire strategy is like, we're going to go a goal ahead and we're not going to get an equaliser against us. And here's the thing, it's worked. It's worked every single time. I thought they were good in that opening stage though. Mm. After the goal, Feyenoord really started to impose their will on the game a little bit more. Mm, and the, mm, mm. before that, it felt a little bit more quite free and fun yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way. This is the thing with Mourinho. He's a contradiction very quickly. Mourinho, the contradiction of Mourinho, for all his events approaching finals and in games all the time, Mourinho teams start very fast. Mm. The, the, the vintage Mourinho teams start with a ferocious intensity. Like you're like, oh my God, they're thrilling. Like if you only watched, if aliens invaded Earth and only watched or just visited, you know, let's not be pugnacious. If aliens invaded Earth or visited Earth and they watched 20 minutes of the first 20 minutes of Ed Mourinho game, they'd be like, oh my God, this man's like an attacking genius. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just the intensity that he, he starts games with, because that's part of the strategy. It's like, rush people, get where you can early, and then shut the thing down, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think they adapted quite well to the loss of Mkhitaryan, because he went off super early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 17 minutes in. But I thought Sergio Oliveira did really well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tracking back very well. But Nicola Zaniolo scored the opener, well, scored the only goal of the game, the winner for, for Roma. An amazing assist by Mancini. It's a gorgeous and, goal, and the actually. The goal was so good because like the way that he chests it down and he's kind of off balance moving backwards, almost mm. against, it's like two magnets at the opposite end. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the way that he manages to rebalance himself as the, the defenders and the keeper are closing in on him and then to have that coolness of mind to just dink it. Because you... you you're in that position, it's so easy to snatch at it. That's not on a plate, that goal. It was a very Kenny Dalglish finish, actually. In terms really of, that's pandering. We're not, but no, we're not, doing a, we're not doing a Liverpool live date yet. You don't have to... Listen, we've got to build the... Uh, <laughs> keep the natives happy. But in terms of that finish, it was like... I love about the goal for Zaniolo. I think it's the youngest ever Italian to score in a European final. I think some stat like that. And Nice. One thing about him, really quickly, before you move on. Yeah, I love sure, the sure. fact that he, he is the same age as his shirt number. Oh my God. I love this. Well, you know, you only get that for a year. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this goal was it was a bit like the Goethe thing on a, on not obviously in the work of, but in terms of the promised child, like Zaniolo is someone who's been heralded for a very long time and bringing glory back to Roma is a powerful part of that narrative. Like 
I remember seeing Zaniola's first goal um, for Roma and it was like this really audacious chip. And I just thought that guy is like heavily, heavily hyped. And I hope that he makes good on that promise because when you make good on the promise at a club like Roma, you are just adored. Like that will make him a legend now. Yeah, he had that horrible injury a couple of years ago. Do you remember in January? I put him out for a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he got that cruciate ligament injury. And then he missed the entire 2021 season because he got another one. So to have two extremely bad ligament injuries so early on in your career, it always makes you fear for young players. Because mm. how many times have we seen players who have been, who have broken onto the scene and looked absolutely incredible, yeah. suffer a really bad injury early on and they never fully recover from it because their yeah. whole body mechanic, like biomechanics just get thrown off yeah. because of it. I think the way that he's returned from that with the same amount of like flex that he had before it, mm. obviously to cap that with the goal that brought Roma their first major European trophy. Amazing. At 22 years old, I'm so happy for him. And this is the thing about this trophy as well. I'm really happy for him. Also very happy for Roma because when the Conference League came around, I was worried about, look, primarily it was really about pressure on players' bodies, injuries, all that stuff. And that, you know, we'll, we'll assess the cost of that in time. Um, but in terms of an extra trophy for people to go for and go at, look, it's so obvious and so clear how much these trophies matter, especially since league titles are tougher and tougher to win these days because of those inequalities. So with a cup competition there, with a real quality of opposition, like Roma in final, they're no clowns. You look at the semi as well and Marseille. To get past Marseille in a semi as well, the way they're playing or had played in that tournament was really impressive. So I just think it was, um, it's a wonderful end and there's a wonderful sense of, of a journey for Roma fans. And this is what this trophy's given clubs, an additional journey, mm. something else to look forward to every season, which I think is really powerful and important. And just in terms of the performances here, so we talk about like the headline is obviously that Mourinho has coached the team to a victory. But if you look at the finer points of this, this was not a classic win in the style of, let's say, Inter beating Bayern Munich in the UEFA Champions League 2-0, which was a masterclass, like in terms of just a team that stuck. If you watch both the goals in that game, you know, the goals by Melito, the way they're constructed and the way that they just take all the heat and light out of that game in the middle 70 minutes before Melito gets the clincher. This is a very different final where there actually was a great deal of uncertainty just in front mm. of the Roma back four. I think partly because of the, not that Oliveira wasn't very good, but there was, there was a gap between, this is mostly the quality of the final attack and the midfield. There was a gap that they exploited uh, final between Roma's midfield and defence. And there were quite a few opportunities where Chris Smalling in particular was yeah, exceptional. a lot of work. The only criticism I've ever made of Chris Smalling, I would say, is that there's times when he hasn't passed forward well through the middle of the pitch. He tends to like defer to the fullbacks. That was more of Mourinho's strategy. But it's interesting that, that Mourinho, having coached him at United, trusts him so much at Roma. Mm. And this is the thing, Mourinho being quite a forgiving manager, because you could argue that like certain defenders didn't actually do that well by him at United. But look at him picking Mkhitaryan, a player that he threw under the bus, quite frankly, at United. And he trusts and he him. he seems to love him. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. But the most praise I have to give is to Rui Patricio, because... There oh is no God. way, there is no oh way God. they should have emerged with a clean sheet from this Roma. No. Well, can we talk about this? Because like yes. I mentioned earlier on, it's like the, to, as, the, as the first half grew, mm. Feyenoord took more and more control of the game. Yes. And there was that period in the few minutes just before halftime and then the few minutes just after halftime when I have no idea how they didn't score. No, none at all. We do because you just mentioned it, but they hit the post really early in that second half. They were they were kind of penned in around Roma's box at, towards the end of the first half. 
and they came out in the second. Patricio had to make a couple of unbelievable saves. Yes, was that, that was that. What, just after the one that came off the post, he made a good one, one after yeah, after Mancini's the post. Yeah, Malassia hit that left foot shot that just went the, was the, going top corner that he tipped absolutely into the, the, the post. Oh my goodness, that was soaring. Yeah, this is the thing, Rui Patricio. When he enters that state of grace. There's a movie I watched, was it The Last Starfight I watched years ago when like this starfighter is outnumbered in space by about like 500 enemy ships and just takes out everyone. Patricio at some point is like that. There's just a state against, he's almost like he's hypnotized and that man will stop anything you put at him. Ironically, the last line of defense for Roma was like channeling a little bit of Spartan energy. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was very, it was very, <laughs> very good. Oh, classic. Thanks. Listen, get your podcast. I can do both. <laughs> Thanks. I've read sometimes. The, went, the, <laughs> the move that led <laughs> the move that led to Feyenoord's chance, um, that amazing strike from Malassia that Patricia said, was probably the best move of the match, actually. In mm. terms of the way they shifted the ball from right to left, it was almost a microcosm. You mentioned like after the, the Roma goal, they started doing things differently, Feyenoord. The way they were shifting the ball about from about half an hour of the game towards half time was basically like the kind of the col- that that move that they almost scored from was the culmination of all that ball movement and they just mm. shifted it so well like there's very very few teams coach Mourinho will be unbalanced like that that will give you that kind of shooting opportunity and actually they got a couple off and that's not really a criticism of Mourinho's team it's more like the quality of what Feyenoord were doing and credit to the coach Arne Slot here whose whose stock will have risen again with this because they were kind of outmatched, actually, final. If you look at the sort of sheer resources and just the quality, this is not disrespecting final, it's more about the depth that Roma have. They played some beautiful stuff, I've got to say. Yeah, um, they really did. Yeah, yeah. And then the, but then there was that moment towards the end where Pellegrini could have put, made it two and then it would have been exactly like Inter against Bayern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the casual observer would have looked at that and been like, yeah, that, this is like definitive. I, what was interesting was the... Um, the foul on Tammy Abraham. Ooh, I, I wanted to talk about this. I think yeah. Sinesis should have gone. That's a red. That's a red. Yeah, a red. I, I saw that's, All that's day a red. that's a red. But this is the uh, thing. And it went to VAR. <laughs> it's a red. Like, I looked at it and I was like, okay, like, you got away with a big one here. And I think Seb Stafford Law tweeted that this is why players go to ground. Yeah. And I see it. Like, I see it because Tammy Abraham basically got, he got penalised for staying up. Uh, he learned his and it, lesson. And there was, there was zero he, attempt to play the ball. He learned his lesson very quickly. Because oh, he did. When he went down at the very end, just while he was subbed I off. I could not believe this. There was zero attempt to get to the ground, to get, to get up very quickly. He's lying on the ground. He looks up towards Mourinho. Which one's my camera? Which one's my camera? And he winks. And I was like, oh my goodness. I hadn't tweeted all game. And I, I just, I was just like, did Tammy just wink? <laughs> did Tammy just wink? <laughs> the skullduggery. But honestly, think about Tammy, right? He was a nice boy. He was a nice boy. Second game for Roma, he's doing the hand gestures. Yes. And then at the end of the season, his team are 1-0 up in a final. He's not injured. He's down. He looks at the camera and he gives it a wink. <laughs> is, fucking hell. That boy's having a good time. I saw that. I thought to myself, my goodness. <laughs> I saw those YouTube videos with chunks and I was like, oh, what a, what a charming man. Like, a, a, he, he seemed like he's a... It's a church going soul, like a loving, a loving human. Oh, oh, oh no, what's, how's your Tammy getting on? <laughs> oh, oh, Tammy, you know, I, I loved it actually. I loved, I loved seeing the kind of, um, that the growth this season, not necessarily the gamesmanship, but just in terms of like owning, owning that role as a number nine. There's a great interview he did with Joe Cole for BT Sport before the final. 
about what it meant to be in Roma and, and, and what it meant to be in the number nine shirt specifically and how he didn't really, not a criticism, but he didn't really get it. He didn't get how Roma revered their centre forwards. Mm. And he understood very quickly. And there's a really nice thing he says, you know, I had 25 goals this season. He was like, should have been more. And I was like, good. He should have, but the thing is, like, he's good. right. Yeah, yeah, though. he's right. And I love to see that. I love to see that. Like, you know, Ian was talking about this on Wrighty's House about, you know, this is a big year for Tammy. And frankly, it's an A+. plus. How often can you say that someone goes abroad and has an A-plus season? It's remarkable. And actually, while it we're is, talking about going abroad, amazing. quick shout to Reese Nelson who acquitted himself, I thought, really quite well last night. Another English player good. who's gone to Holland, gone abroad and um, in Holland, in his case, trying to make uh, a career for himself. So yeah, he, he was good the other night. So hopefully Yeah, I thought he was really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing about Tammy is that as soon as he went, he started scoring goals and obviously he broke that, goals for, yeah. that goal record for a debut season. Batistuta's record he beat, didn't he? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 23 goals, four assists with the Serie A club. He broke Gabriel Batistuta's debut season record. That's wild. I think we talked about it on the pod. I saw that Batistuta season and that was, well, we both saw it and that was extraordinary. I mean, you probably remember it a little bit more than I do. Wow. I'm a little bit younger. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, Okay. But no, I mean, this has been an unbelievable season for Tammy. Stella, yeah. Silverware, slightly disappointing moments in the league. I think there was, you know, James Horncastle wrote some great stuff on Roma this season and when things did go bad, it was quite obvious who was to blame and you did get some moments of vintage Mourinho spikiness throughout mm. the season. Yeah. But also, I've never seen Mourinho that emotional. No, likewise, likewise. And if you think about when he was mouthing off about the Europa League a few years ago, he won it with Manchester United and then he's won the third tier European competition. The first thing he did, it was quite funny actually because Carl was at the writer's house group being like, oh, you know, he seems to be like, it seems to have kind of like humbled him a little bit. And I was like, mm, Carl, I don't know, actually, you know, it wasn't long ago that he got sent off for calling out a referee whose dad was involved in the refereeing scandal in Italy. And yeah. then that was also in, in the same game where he picked up the ball and just fucking launched it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Carl posted the picture of him holding up the five and he was just like, oh, actually, no, I'll take that back. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not a humble man. But the emotion that he showed afterwards, it, it seemed real. to really mean something to him. And I think that, I think we said this about Conte, right? On Yeah, we did. We talked about Conte on the last show. Mm. I think all managers want to be a legacy manager, actually. But when they find a club that they love and it's in a city that they enjoy living in mm. and they enjoy working with the people, I think deep down people, like managers want that security. They want to be maybe not an Arsene Wenger or Alex Ferguson in terms of the amount of, you know, being there for into over two decades. But I mean, you look at Klopp. I don't think he would have imagined that he'd be extending after seven years at Liverpool. I think Pep would have been very surprised if you told him how long he was going to stay at Manchester City and then extend. Mm. And now listen, we're talking about this at the end of season one of, of Jose Mourinho. And I remember times when he was at Spurs when we were like, actually... Well, I was gonna, I'm glad you've come to this. I'm glad you said, you said this because... But yeah, yeah, go on. then it fell off quite dramatically. Yeah. But I think with Spurs, it was a little bit different because he'd managed too many clubs in that Premier in the There's Premier something League, else going on with Mourinho. It's Mourinho's, uh, Mourinho's specific relationship with glamorous... Glamorous continental cities and faded glory. It's a restoration project. His entire career has been a restoration mm. project at its core. Porto, Milan, Rome, great cities, great football heritage that maybe deserve a bigger place on the European stage. And Mourinho restores it. He returns it to them. It's what he connects with. You see him mentioning the European trophies. He doesn't dwell on the Europa League with Manchester United. He's not proud of that whole era, that period, because it's not Mourinho and his best self. 
There's something about Mourinho. And it's also Manchester, not Manchester United in their best self. Yeah, right. But there's something about Mourinho needing to be needed, right? Oh, 100%. And, it's, and, it, and he's, more of, he's much more of that than he admits. And the reason I think this is so emotional with Roma is that actually there'll be a point of the season where he didn't think he was going to get back to that European stage again. And he didn't think the glory was coming again. Like he had actually gone a fairly long period. You look at 2010, he doesn't win anything in Europe until 2017. And then 2022, this is a man that was not beaten at home in the league for nine years. A wow. serial winner who's not winning. How much does the Champions League hurt Pep? And I'm not saying that to like go to him. I'm saying that as somebody that is a winner, as somebody who could look at football and be like, I have pushed this game forward in ways that 99% of people who will ever step on a football field will never even dream of doing. These losses hurt, right? Year in, year out. And there's something about Mourinho. You know that, that scene in, um, I, know Game of Th- I know the Game of Thrones references aren't very popular on this podcast, but... Um, the one when like John Snow's in why, love with Igrit. Well, he's John Snow's in love with Igrit and his and then in that cave and it's like we should have stayed in the cave. We shouldn't have gone out on this big adventure. We should have stayed in the cave. And for Mourinho, staying in the cave means working with these European clubs that were huge but fell on hard times, and he restores them because he's so happy. Those are the victories he just talks about instinctively. Like he, we know he had a huge success at Chelsea, but he doesn't bring up those clubs as much as he talks about Porto, Inter, Roma. Like I've always said. The happiest Mourinho I've ever seen is Mourinho at Roma, uh, Inter, sorry. Mm. When you had Helena Herrera, you know, of the 60s, and Mourinho was kind of the new Herrera in many ways. And then you look at like, he had a bit of investment, but he had the belief and he had the whole city on his back. And there's something about Rome. I don't know. I've always, you know, we, we said before, like, you know, if Pep went to, how incredible if Pep went to Roma. Yeah. Because actually, I think those two coaches are more similar than they would maybe necessarily admit. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the parallels in terms of not winning the Champions League for a, over a decade each mm. now is is really telling. I think the, the, the main difference is that Pep hasn't really been in the Europa League. Right, exactly. So, so he's not had that out yet. But I think if Pep had had clubs in the Europa League through that time, he probably would have won another European trophy. And I, but I, that's just, that's the main difference between them. I think yeah, yeah, Mourinho absolutely. has... Mourinho's stock has fallen over that time, yeah. whereas Pep has managed to maintain, and that just made. But but that just at, means it's like that Mourinho as well. Like yeah, yeah, right, the same. Yeah, 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 totally. And I think with with Mourinho, it's like the Inter. He had Samueletto had just been shipped out of Barca and had a point to prove. Still one of the most baffling transfers of all time. Yeah. This time round, you've got Tammy Abraham turning up, who a couple of years ago was starting and needed a change of scenery and has a point to prove. And then you look at the season that Tammy's had. Mm. I think that that is the sweet spot for Mourinho because I think you're right about Rome. There's, there is something when you actually go and look at look at the stuff that Roma have actually won as mm. a club. It's it's far less than I think you imagine. Yes, 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 yeah. Because Roma has always been such a, an iconic club for us growing up, and I, I wonder whether that has something to do with the emergence of Italian football or you know Serie A globally when we were younger. Also, it's the style of football they play. Like they're like. Roma adds so much to football because there's, they set the tone. They're like the pace setters, right? Like mm. a strong title race. Roma, and there's clubs like Roma, Parma as well. You know, when, P- when Parma still had their sort of funding together. Like there's, it's actually, can I just throw this in? It's, it's something you always say. It's about fit. The fit between Mourinho and Roma is so good. Like Roma basically is, it's a great club. It's a huge club, but there's mm. something about a lack of confidence there. There's a lack of yeah. confidence in getting the deal done, getting it over the line. It's very interesting that Batistuta, came in and won that league title with them 
and he was almost coming in from the outside and he wasn't affected by the sort of second or third season, you know, we're Rome, we don't really win the league. And we, go, we go close, we don't really win the league that often. We don't really get the league. You know, we don't get it over the mm-hmm. line. And there's something to be said for, I don't know they've done it before, but like, there's something to be said for someone coming in with a huge amount of self-belief. And this is the beauty of it. that Not only did he come in with a huge amount of self-belief, which got him through in the end, he came with a talismanic number nine. And if Roma loves anything, if Italian football loves anything, frankly, they love the number nines. Love the number nines. Like, you know, the next time I go to Rome, I should turn up and just be like, go to the Italian border, be like, oh, by the way, I'm a, I was a pass first striker. Watch the borders open <laughs> without a visa. <laughs> I'm, I'm George Ware's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so just, just to add to your point about Mourinho, I just want to emphasise the point of fit. The fit with Roma was just so good. And I'm just really happy for Roma fans. They get to celebrate this this year because, you know, there's been, frankly, some up and down results this year, but there have been some superb performances, mm. especially like in the Derby, for example. Like we've seen some really like high points. And to be honest, you know, given, given listen, the outstanding quality of the social media team at Roma, I'm sure their highlights package for this season is going to be a treat. Oh, absolutely. One slight criticism of Feyenoord, if I may. There was a frustration in trying to force the final pass into the final third. Oh, yeah. There was a five to seven minute period when it was wild. They were playing as if they were on a shot clock in basketball. Yeah, I I put in the writer's house group, it was like watching someone who usually plays Pro Evo play a game of FIFA. (laughs) They got the buttons the wrong place. It was like they kept pressing the wrong button as soon as they got around the box. It was really bizarre. And the reason I sort of mentioned this kind of what I can call a shot clock attack where they felt like they had to go for shot within a certain time was we mentioned the chance they had. The one time they recycled the ball and shifted it from right to left in front of the Roma box, there was joy. Mm. So maybe that's just the lesson, like just keep playing your football. If they'd kept playing their football as they did for about 40 minutes in that game, then they might have come through. Yeah, I agree. Props to Roma. That's a, a, a very strong way to end the season. I'm excited to see what they do in the summer and moving on to next season. One attractive destination now. I wonder what the investment would be like. Um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah. Let's take a quick break. Let's do it. All right, man. A couple of things before we move on to some other stuff. Julian Alvarez. Goodness. Be- <laughs> became the first player in the history of River Plate to score six goals during an official match. They beat Alianza Lima 8-1 in the Copa Libertadores. All of his goals were so good, even the scrappy ones. And Man City went and bought Holland. Scary. It's not a bad backup to have if they want to bring him back. He's not making the mistake this time, Pep, of not having strikers who are just absolutely ruthless. He's not making that mistake again. His goals reminded me of Lyovich, actually, last night. That's interesting. The range of finishing, but the directness. Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. almost inevitability about it. The aura. I know Alianza Lima aren't exactly the, the strongest side in that group. They're bottom of the group, but... But still. But do you remember when Holland got nine for like Norway yeah. in like a youth yeah. game? You're like, yeah, actually, but it's it's not even about, you know, it's not about the opposition, it's about the hunger. Yeah, you're it's right. It's the hunger and the way that he celebrates the goals and the variety of the finishes and the way that each finish seems to get almost better mm. as the game goes. He's getting more and more locked in and I'm like, this is, this is dangerous. Yeah. It was like when Aguero scored five against Newcastle that time. Yeah. You know, he just like, he just, he just keeps heating up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, LA Galaxy beat uh, LAFC 3-1. El Trafico as <laughs> the, the uh, US Open Cup the best and it kind of all kicked off a little bit in this game it was very spiky <laughs> and uh, Barcelona beat Real Madrid 4-0 in mm. the Copa del Arena mm. it's the sixth time they've beaten Real Madrid this season 
It's to be expected though. Like that, that Madrid team, we've said this before, like that people can be deceived. People can be deceived by, by that, that matchup just because the history behind the men's game. But that, that Real Madrid team is still finding its way. What's most impressive with them is they've provided, I think, a bit of a blueprint for other teams that have gone on and done Barca some harm, actually. They mm. found, so they, they've clogged gaps in certain ways that teams with more resources have looked at and be like, oh, that can work for us. I think that was a game was at Supercopa earlier this year where they held out very, very late and Barca got yeah. a late winner. But I remember watching that game and thinking, there are, there are teams with more money behind them and more defensive and attacking coordination that are going to take this blueprint and run with it. And we've, mm. we've kind of seen that, to be honest, unfortunately. So they'll play Sporting 12 in the final. 11.30 Central European time. Unusual start time. Yeah, I just wonder whether that's maybe, although I was going to say it's maybe heat related because but it's playing in the midday sun, so I'm not sure about that. Why not play in the evening? Yeah, why not play in the evening? Yeah, just play in the evening, man. Under the lights. Unusual start time there, I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chelsea have new owners. They do. confirmed. It's finally over. One of the biggest sagas of the season. LA Dodgers owner Todd Bowley and the private equity firm Clear Lake now control Chelsea. There's a really good piece by Tarek Pandra and Roy Smith actually on the New York Times that kind of just goes through the whole thing. We've touched on it a little bit, but it's been such an ongoing saga. Mm. You could essentially do every single podcast on the latest updates about it. You could, yeah, yeah. And some have, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. I and mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack. So there's a paragraph in this piece, which is, I completely forgot that all of this had happened. Uh, it says... The path to a deal has entangled a scarcely probable cast of characters, private equity funds and anonymous offshore trusts, lawmakers in Britain and Portugal, an octogenarian, Swiss billionaire, the American tennis star Serena Williams, an enigmatic Russian oligarch and a little-known Portuguese rabbi, and featured a contested passport, wartime peace talks, and even reports of an attempted poisoning. It's extraordinary, yeah. They had to get it over the line before the 31st of May deadline. And um, I think for Chelsea fans, it'll be a huge relief that it's done mm. because I think we said a while ago that Tuchel just kind of needed the season to be done. And I think to be honest, Chelsea fans did as well. It's been a, it's been a hell of a season, especially off the back of winning, a, winning the Champions League and everything was looking pretty rosy. It's strange because they're ahead of, they were ahead of schedule. They were so far ahead of schedule with that. And now they're behind schedule with this. Yeah. So it's kind of evened out. After two years... It's kind of par at this point, I would say. Yeah, may- maybe, maybe. They shot the lights out on the front nine and kind of bogeyed a load on the back nine. Is that mm. what you're saying? That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. I would say they're actually at 71. They shot a 71, nice. basically. Yeah. Good golf chat. Yeah. But moving forward for Chelsea, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes because the value of top level Premier League clubs or Premier League clubs in general. Mm. We talked about this last week with the Spurs thing about how like they're not they're going to be fine for money, mm. and this is a wild thing I think now, especially after the pandemic, that the value of this, if you're going to look at them from in a purely purely business term, like the value of the asset is actually going to increase. But are they going to be able to have the spending power that they had under Abramovich? Probably not. There's a lot of surgery to do on Chelsea this season. But even spending power is a relative term because even when you're dropping 97 million on Lukaku, but that's mm. in a market where other clubs now have the financial muscle that, that they didn't have relative to you 20 years ago. So the whole landscape's changed, right? So even yeah, when Abramovich yeah. was there, they didn't have the money that earlier Abramovich had in terms of that scale. So it's finding ways to be smarter with money um, and, and develop talent better. But also as well, like, it's Chelsea. Like, 
you're a millionaire being asked to come and live in London. There's not going to be a shortage of players who will take up that offer. You get to work with Thomas Tuchel, get to live in London. That's a strong sell. This is the thing, like, we talk so often about Madrid and Barcelona being strong sells, and they are, like, because they're amazing cities and they're amazing clubs, a great heritage and all the rest of it. And Chelsea are a club who've won so much in recent years. They've got one of the world's best coaches. You know what, Tuchel's like top five in the world uh, easily as a coach. And they've got so much in front of them, which is why I kind of felt, I didn't, I didn't think the Chelsea situation was understated in terms of the perils, but I thought to myself, I just can't imagine there won't be buyers for that. Mm. Because here's the thing about Chelsea, it's not just the financial asset, it's, it's a feather in your cap, it's prestige. It's like owning, it's like owning Harrods, Ryan. Mm. You know what it is? It's like, it's a crown jewel. Like, and there's, there's an intangible value to owning Chelsea not, I'm not saying it's a vanity project. I'm not saying that. There's an intangible quality to owning Chelsea that goes beyond what's on a balance sheet, which is why you'd want to have it. Um, so I just think in terms of where Chelsea are going to be, yes, they need to pick up some defensive midfielders. Yes, they need to pick up some central defenders. But that's all, that's two transfer windows. I mean, you look at Spurs in Conte, it's arguably one. You know, so, <laughs> so yeah, like I don't, I don't think Chelsea will find it that tough to be that back up, to be back up that quickly. They came third after all. I mean, yeah, they're good, you know. Yeah. And also you're, you're dealing with two of the best managers, I would say of all time, actually. Oh, without question. Without question. Yeah, yeah. Two of the all-time great managers operating at the peak of their powers. Klopp won manager of the year. Yeah. This one manager of the year. I mean, that's, that's the level at which he's I mean, we've said yeah, this yeah. before, that like the achievements, that, that, that how Klopp has maintain pushing Man City to the limit over so many seasons. I know they had that that wobble last season thanks to a load of injuries, but still, it's it's kind of otherworldly. We don't really talk about managers the same we talk about players like Messi versus Ronaldo because that's, yeah, yeah, that's sure. weird. But if we were talking about you know, managers pushing each other to limits... Pep said this. Pep was yeah. just like, without Liverpool, you know, they make us they they make us better because we have to be because they're so good. Can um, I just say one of my dreams one day is to meet Pep at an event and just have my my like voice recorded on and be like, please, Pep, just say this sentence. Jurgen Klopp, we cannot replace him. <laughs> I just do you know what? That. If I ever met Pep, <laughs> we I'm cannot going, replace I'm, him. <laughs> I'm going with a pack of like CBD gummies in my pocket because I'm going to be like Pep. Take one of these first. Let's all just chill. I don't think I could deal with the intensity of like a whole evening of Pep. Like you see, like Jack Grealish after the game the other day when he was just he, he was talking about how you know he felt like he was a little bit nervous at points this season, but not because like Pep was putting any pressure on him necessarily, mm. but he just felt the pressure of Pep and yes, he didn't yes, want to yes. give the ball away and stuff. I think I'd just be like that if I met Pep. I want I want cigar drunk Oasis singing Pep. I don't want touchline. We're pushing for a winner, Pep. I don't think anyone Pep. wants that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sit down, drink water, relax. <laughs> uh, we spoke about Liverpool, Champions League final this weekend. I am extremely hyped about this. Can I just give a shout out to my good friend Ash from Tbilisi in Georgia, who is one of the biggest Liverpool fans I know, has never managed to get to Anfield before. However, he's going to the final. I love this story. I love this story so much. He's going to the final. Unbelievable. I love that so much. I'm so hyped for him. And I know he listens, so have fun, Ash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enjoy it. Absolutely. And, and to, to fans of both clubs, may the best team win. I said this before on other podcasts, but I mean it like, you know, they both had stellar seasons uh, in the league and yeah, they just had incredible cup runs. So yeah, may the best team win. Just looking forward to it. 
Me too. We'll cover that on the next stadio, obviously. A little bit of admin we didn't do at the top. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house. The final one of the domestic season is up. Yes, yes. Emmy Owen Carl joined Ian. Double, about- double British Book Awards winner, Carl Anker. Yes. Award winning author. The award winning Carl Anker. There's too many award winners. There's like. Magnificent you've human. You've got MB, uh, MBEs on the pod. All sorts. You've got award winners. And then you've. Catfish of the Year? Well, that's me, basically. Because that's <laughs> the, like, I was going to say, then you've got me. <laughs> Gosh. Catfished himself. Someone said there was a football in the pitch one time. Said he looks like he's a child that's won a competition. <laughs> I am, I am, I am definitely the child who's won a competition. Well, so am I. Look, we're in this together, Ryan. Unfortunately, shut, shut up. Award-winning author moves to Akwanga. I've won nothing of note. Nothing. Nothing. I've won my mum's approval, and that's it. That's the hardest award to win. It Harder than winning three straight Champions Leagues. <laughs> 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 uh, right, it's house will be back for the Women's Euros and just ahead of the Women's Euros but um, Stadia will keep going for a little bit we said we'd update you on the schedule but we'll do that next week we're going to do one after Champions League next week and we'll do another one next week as well proper mailbag episode I think mm. maybe we'll do a conceptual episode maybe we'll do a what if and then we will take a little bit of a break as well especially when we do that week of uh, with the live shows and then we'll come back in some form for the Women's Euros as well alright shall we get out of here Let's do it. All right. Don't forget to check the ringer.com and the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Don't forget Stadio tickets on sale, 10 a.m. UK time, Friday morning. The link is on twitter.com forward slash Stadio. Pin tweet. Just go and check that. You don't even need to have Twitter or sign in if you don't have it. Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we are playing out on the legendary house great Larry Heard with uh, the anthemic Burning For You. What a tune. It's a I love Larry Heard. I love Larry Heard. Um, anything you want to add, Musa Gwanga? I think it's time you added something. No, it's not. I don't have anything. It's, it's the pressure. It's the pressure. I just, I was minding my business all alone, and all of a sudden a microphone was thrust on my nose, and hot takes were expected. And it's created a myth. I'm actually a very peaceful guy that doesn't like any kind of spotlight for my takes. You got the job on a technicality. <laughs> a legend, a legend called Ryan Hunt who recommended me. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> it's true. that's actually how I got that's the job. Tr- that's true. <laughs> I'll add something. I'll have a hot take for you. Listen, come to the live show. I'll have hot takes for you. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, better buckle up because that might be the last you'll hear of us, that live show. Yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get Musa to tell you all his Zlatan take. Yeah. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Much love. Have a lovely weekend. And actually, we'll be back with you Sunday evening. We will indeed. Looking forward to it.